Well, good morning. Am I switched on? I think I Yes, I am. Good morning. Wow. Can we try that one more time? Good morning. Ah, you are there. Great. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Dennis, as Chad said, and I am from London, England. The home of Her Majesty the Queen, as was until just a little while ago. Her funeral is tomorrow, so big deal in my country where I live. It's so good to be with you. It really is this morning. Um, I've been here once before, but not in this building. I didn't even know you had this building when I came last time. I went to the, the other building that you have. But uh, I believe you're going to be involved in something that we're doing. The ministry that I lead is called The Rooftop. You can see it up there behind me. And by the way, I'm going to be assisted by Jennifer this morning. She's going to show some slides. So please pray for Jennifer. She's got lots of clicking to do. But The Rooftop, just a few things about that, if I may. And, and this church is part of it. Uh, happening in a couple of weeks' time, we're doing something called The Rooftop Global Encounter. Um, if you if you want, I, I didn't have time this morning to show you stuff because I haven't got that long, but if you're interested in finding out what that's all about, then you can go to your phone if you want, and you can just put the rooftop.org in your web browser, and then you can find out about what we're doing. It's just the rooftop.org. But on October the 2nd this year, in two weeks from now, in about 100 countries around the world, all on the same day, in Asia, Africa, Europe, the Americas, right across the world on the same day, two weeks from now, there's going to be, we pray, tens of thousands of Christians going to high places, looking out across their community and asking Jesus, how do we join you in your mission? We pray it could be something of an awakening that could happen across the world. Little sparks of light all over the world that the Holy Spirit will blow across and turn into a movement of disciple making. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe this world needs Jesus? Really? I know, the, I know the correct answer to that question is yes, but do we really believe that? This world needs Jesus. Let me ask you the question again. Do you believe this world needs Jesus? So much, don't you think? And yet here's the thing, friends, and this is something which breaks my heart, that as I travel across the world, which I do, I've just been in Asia, I was just in Bangladesh, I was in Pakistan, I was in India, I was in Nepal. Before that, I was all over Africa, before that, I was in Central America, and a lot of time also in North America, and across Europe, where I live. I go to country after country, to city after city, to church after church, and here's the thing that breaks my heart, friends, and I'll be honest with you. What breaks my heart is that so often when it comes to asking that question, does the world need Jesus, the church knows that the answer is yes, but it's not passionate about doing anything about it. <laughs> we just carry on being what we are, and hoping that one day things might change. Can I say this to you, friends? It ain't going to change. That's how we speak where I live. It ain't going to change unless we do something about it. And the time is so urgent. That's what I'm going to be talking about a little bit today. A few things I've brought with me. Um, I've brought a couple of books with me, if you're interested. Uh, this one is called The Rooftop, and this one's called More to Life. They're both really about the same thing, which is how do we let God touch our hearts and break our hearts so that we'll join him in his mission. This one is $10. This one is $10 if you get the two. It's 20. See, we, we British people have never learned from the Americans how to do these things well. So um, that's that. But also we are doing something special because we have this global encounter happening um, just a few weeks' time, now two weeks away. After the global encounter has happened, we will have um, teams of people across the whole world. We're certainly in up to 100 countries across the world. Many of those in the developing world where there is no money at all. And they will be, we're providing them with equipment to help them accelerate disciple-making across their countries. We're giving them laptops and little cameras and little, uh, and little um, microphones and things like that. 
We want to see, it is literally the case that the Great Commission can be completed in our lifetime. And it's literally at people's fingertips now. We can do this. And so we're seeking to do that, and we need help to do that. Uh, the, the ministry that I lead, just to give you a picture, I, mentioned, I asked Chad if I could say this briefly, so I am, just briefly. The ministry that I lead, the rooftop, we're happening, as I said, in maybe 100 countries around the world. The, the vision God has given us is to make a million disciples in 100 countries in the next five years. And I can say to you honestly, our budget to do that is less than a million dollars. It's less than a dollar a disciple. That's what we're seeking to do. If you can help us with that in some way, and I always say the first giving is to your church and all of that, but if there is some way that you can help us to resource these disciple makers across the world to make more disciples, then please would you come see me afterwards. If you do, we've got some little forms you could complete. And if you do become someone that helps us, you can take the books for free. That's how we do this. So if you want to come and see, there's a little table outside. After you've signed up for your life group, pop in and see me at a little table there and get some books if you want and uh, also sign up. One last little thing I've got. We also brought these little, we made these little bracelets recently. These little, and they've got JJ on them. And then they've got the rooftop website. The reason they've got JJ on them, JJ stands for Joining Jesus. And we've made these to remind Christian people that every day of our lives, everywhere we go, whatever we're doing, we're joining Jesus in his mission. <laughs> Jesus doesn't live in a building, does he? Jesus is out there on mission with people. And so we just made these. If you want to take one, if you want to make a contribution, you can, but you don't need to. Just take one of these. JJ, just to remind yourself that every day, every restaurant you're in, every place you go to, every day at work, at home, whatever, you're joining Jesus' mission. That's, that's what that is all about. So what I want to talk about today briefly, let me just check the time. Yep, as you can see, I'm only a short speaker, so we should be okay. Um, what I want to speak about, Chad has kind of introduced it, but I want to give a bit of a scope around what he was saying. As I understand it, um, I believe this is right, that you're going to be doing something on October the 2nd with the Global Encounter. And the, the, the Global Encounter on October the 2nd is not the end of a process, it's the beginning of something. And what our prayer is that out of that global encounter, as Christians gather, as you gather here, in some way, to look across this community and say, Jesus, it's exactly what you just read, Chad, from Luke 10, verses 1 through 3. The, the, the harvest is plentiful, the work is a few. Pray the Lord will send workers into his harvest field. And the next word he says is go. In other words, pray that God will change you. That, that's what it's all about, that we will go. Um, and and as, we, as we prepare for that and think about that, what I'm going to be speaking about today briefly is the whole area of discipleship. What, what does it mean to be and make disciples? And how do we do that just using our lives? And so if you've got a Bible, perhaps you'll turn to Mark chapter 1, just briefly at the beginning. Go to Mark chapter 1. And verse 14. Mark 1 verse 14 says this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. I, I love the way the Bible makes things so clear, don't you? They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. It's great, isn't it? It'd be funny if it said they were casting a net into the lake, for they were plumbers. It just wouldn't work, would it? It just They have to be fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. So let me just, um, just a few things I want to talk about. If we could just go to this, next slide please. What I want to think about is three different things about this whole area of discipleship. You see what happens here in, in Mark chapter 1. 
what we see is Jesus comes to the world, and when I first became a Christian, you know, Chad mentioned that I didn't, I didn't go to church at all as a kid. I didn't even know what church was. Uh, where I live in England, many people think of England as a Christian country. Um, you see the Queen has died, and it's all, everyone's talking about faith and Christianity in our country at the moment. But here's, here's a, a sharp picture of the look of the country where I live, England. 100 years ago, 94% of people were churched. Now, it's less than 4%, and it's going down. That's not just England, that's Europe. Europe, In fact, Europe is worse. And the, the countries that sent the missionaries to the world are now places that are greater mission fields than the countries that they sent them to. In fact, in England, where I live now, I'm working with a number of organisations that are saying, how do we as Africans and Chinese and Korean and Latin American people, how do we reach England for Jesus? That's what they're asking, the whole thing. And let me tell you this, friends, it's happening in the United States of America too. And that should cause us to lay face down on the floor and cry out to God until it changes. But unfortunately it doesn't because our lives are so busy, aren't they? With so many other, other things. But you see, so where, where I live, where I grew up, church wasn't something that I did. It had nothing to do really with what, what I even thought about. And when I went to church, it was strange to me. I became a Christian because my boss gave me a book to read. It was the book Mere Christianity. And I read it on a train to and from work every day. And I saw this. This is what really struck me. I saw that the amazing thing was, and we just read it, that what Jesus did when Jesus came to the world was he brought good news to people that were broken and lost and desperate. The whole of Jesus' ministry, what he was all about was coming to people. He didn't stand on a platform like I am. He didn't even go into a building like we do. He went to the people. And he went right up to them. Am I allowed to do this? Is this going to cause feedback? He went right up to the people, right where they were, right in their mess, right in their situation. And he said to them, I've got good news for you. And these people couldn't even look him in the face sometimes because they were so ashamed of the lives they lived, the things they did. But here was God. Did you get that? God. God in the flesh woke up to them and he said, I've got good news for you. And they'd look at him and sometimes they couldn't even look because they were so ashamed. And then he'd say, he wouldn't fist bump them, but we'll do that. I'm sure Jesus didn't fist bump. But here's the thing, and this is so important. He would look at these hopeless and helpless people who thought they were sinners and useless and no good at all, and he would say, I have got good news. Good news. The kingdom of God is near. Isn't that great? Good news. We, we, when, we, when we began the service, I was sitting there smiling because that song the three ladies sang, which was so lovely. I love that song. And, it, and there were two things about it that I love. One, it said we can't help dancing. And I thought, are you allowed to dance in a Baptist church? <laughs> But even if we think about it, this good news is so good, it should cause us to dance, shouldn't it? To actually let ourselves really go. Have you ever done that? Have you ever really allowed yourself to open up and let your heart break and just pound out with how good this good news is? Have you ever done that? In England, we have joy. And sometimes it's so deep, we can't find it. <laughs> the way we express our joy in England when it comes to how good this good news is, is we actually do this with our face. We go... And the bottom lip is what really expresses the depth of the joy. You see my bottom lip? <laughs> but friends, if we could imagine for a moment what it would be like if we would actually let the joy that we know in Jesus just rip out of us and just express itself to God in such a powerful way, that could do something that would unlock something in us. Do you think that? Somewhere we just hold it all in. But Jesus came to people, really bad people, really terrible sinners. I'm not picking on you because you are one, but you just happen to be sitting there. You, sir, to really terrible sinners, people that thought they were no good at all. 
so full of shame and guilt and everything else. That's what they were. And here's the amazing thing about the gospel. God became flesh, lived among us. And he came to people that were hopeless and helpless and rotten. He looked them in the face. He didn't fist bump them, we're going to do it. And he said, I have got good news for you. The kingdom of God is near. You can touch it. You can feel it. It's here. It's right among you. That's what I've come to do. And in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus put it another way. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. See, Jesus came on a mission. You know that, don't you? The mission he came on was to bring good news to people that weren't good. The whole message of Jesus is to bring good news to people that weren't good. And what he then did straight away, we read in Mark chapter 1, as soon as he'd come to declare this good news, what was the very next thing he did? He said to people, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In other words, what he said to people was, we called them disciples. He said, follow me, join me in my mission. Become part of what I'm doing. Because here's the thing, only Jesus could die for the sins of the world. Nobody else could do that. Because nobody else is God. I couldn't die for the sins of the world, neither could you, but Jesus could. Only he could die for the sins of the world. Only he could be raised from the dead and go back to the glory he came from. Nobody else could do that. Only uniquely Jesus could do that. But here's the thing, and Jesus makes it absolutely clear that for his mission to be completed, he needed disciples that would follow him, learn from him, and then teach the world what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's the key. The disciples would follow him. And following Jesus meant, and please, 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 let this permeate your soul, following Jesus means joining Jesus in his mission. I have a good friend, uh, his name's John, John Avant. Some of you might know him. Uh, he, he leads a ministry in, in the US called Life Action. In fact, I'm meeting him tomorrow. He's coming to Arizona tomorrow. And um, we met a few years ago and began to talk. And what he said to me was this. He said, Dennis, he said, in England, in America, sorry, in America, it's relatively easy to get people to say yes to Jesus. Just pray a prayer. Lord, forgive me and I'll go to heaven. But he said it's almost impossible to get people to say yes to Jesus' mission. I'll join you in your mission, Jesus. So we say a prayer that says, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you, but we don't actually follow them. And this is what he said, and it's a challenge to all of us. What John said to me, he said, the thing is, Dennis, and, I, and I, well, we talked and I agree with him, if we don't say yes to Jesus, we have to ask ourselves the question, did we ever really say yes to Jesus? And see, the Matthew 28 the purpose of Jesus' mission. What he did was this, he made disciples throughout the New Testament, we're going to look at that a bit more in just a second, throughout the Gospels, and then in Matthew 28, you, you probably don't even need to look at these verses, you know what they are, don't you? What we call the Great Commission. Jesus said to his disciples that he'd been making for over three years, now go and make disciples, go into all the world, make disciples of all people, telling them to obey the things that I've told you to obey. See, the whole purpose of it was, what Jesus came to do was to do a mission that would save the world and then send a team out into the world to let the world know what it was. That, that's the whole purpose of it. So you think, okay, that was a long time ago. We live in Arizona, Scottsdale. What's that got to do with us? Well, the thing is, the mission isn't complete yet. It still continues. I'd like to go to another, another slide, please. Did we go on, to, just jump one and go to the next one, please. Would you, Jennifer, just go beyond this one and go to the next one, please. You can watch, that's disciple making. I was going to spend more time on that, but I haven't got much. So I want to, 
I just feel I should spend a little bit of time on this today as we think about it. Chad said I was going to talk about how we build relationships and things with people. But here's a challenge. When we think about discipleship, where does it take place? So I just thought I'd like to show you a few slides. Luke 10, 1-3, we already read that earlier on. Next slide, please, Jennifer. I saw this outside of a church one time in North Carolina. I had to take the picture of it because it says this. Are you ready to be saved? Then come inside. And when I saw that slide years and years ago, my thought was, what if you're not ready to be saved? Does that mean you stay outside? And as I looked at it and, and, and took the picture of it, I thought, here's the challenge that we have to really face. So much of the focus of what we think about discipleship takes place inside of a building that we call a church. It happens, if I can put it this way, on campus. We come to Bible studies in small groups. I know you're, 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 you're having life groups. Don't hear me being unkindly critical here, but I'm just being honest about what I see. So much of what happens takes place within safe places within a church context, and we come together for what we call fellowship, and we do everything in the church. But Jesus didn't do it that way. Jesus was always among the people. And the disciples that followed him were always among the people. That's what happened. So let me just look about this, this where. Next slide, please. I was with a pastor once in, uh, in Virginia. And he said to me, he said, Dennis, he said, I want to reach this community for Jesus. Tell me how to do it. Teach me how to do it. And behind him on the wall, he had a map. Um, it wasn't this map, but it, this is just a, a version of it. And, and what it was, it was on the wall, and there was, his community was photocopied, and on it was this big cross with a circle around it, just like you can see. And that cross represented their building, where they were. And as I looked at his map behind the wall, I said to him, I said, look, if you want me to help you to think about how do you reach this community, let's start with your map. I said, there are two things wrong with your map, brother. Firstly, you've only photocopied a small part of your community, which makes it look as if your building is in the middle. It isn't. It's right over on one side. There's a lot more community that you haven't photocopied. I said, the other thing is that you've done is you've made the church look so big. You put this big cross with a great big circle around it as if it's the centre of everything. The truth is most people in this community drive by or walk by your church every day and don't even know that it's here. And he said, you're supposed to be helping me. I said, well, I am, but if, if you're sick, you need to know what the problem is. There's no point putting a Band-Aid on cancer, is there? Do you know, it just doesn't work. You've got to know what the deep problem is. And the problem is that we have to recognise in your country like in mine is that for most people now in Scottsdale, Arizona, they could care less about whether our church is here or not. It sounds hard, but it's true, isn't it? They're not thinking, how do I get to first, first Southern, whatever, first, first Baptist, whatever you call it. I went to the wrong website when I put First Baptist Scottsdale and I found another one. I nearly went there this morning, but I knew before that. But, but they don't, and we just have to recognise that. As in my country, 4% of people are connected with church. I, was, I, I go to Arizona State University quite often when I'm here in Arizona, and I can tell you on that, on that campus, about 2% of people have got connection with churches. This is what's happening. Do you understand that? This is what's happening in the world. This is what's happening. The world is becoming less and less and less and less connected with the church. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, then we have to recognise that the place where it happens cannot be just in our buildings, on our campuses. We've got to go back to the New Testament. 
So let me tell you what I said to this pastor. I said, Pastor, I said, let me ask you a question. The people that come to this building that you call the church, where do they live? And as, as I um, asked him, what he did is he told me where they lived. I started putting little, little crosses on the map, and you'll see them all appear now. I put little crosses on the map. Here they come. And there were some that actually weren't even on the map. They were off the picture because some of them lived further away than that local area. And after I'd been doing that for about 10 minutes, I said to him, I said, Pastor, I said, take a step back with me. And we took a step back, took a step back together. He was a lot, like most people, he was quite a lot taller than I was. So his perspective was a little different to mine. But we looked at the, this map and I said, let me ask you a question. What is the church? Is the church that cross in the middle with a circle around it? Or is the church all those little crosses scattered across, across the map? What is it? Which one is the church? And he said, the church is the, the little crosses scattered across the map. It's the people. Do you believe that? It's the people scattered. That's what it is. That is the church. The, the, the big one in the middle is just a place where the church sometimes meets. But the church is not the place. The church is the people and the people are scattered across. And I said, so if that's the case, if you want to reach the community, what should you do? And he said, I need to equip the people in the church who are the church to reach the people who are not in the church. I said, there you've got your answer, you see. Next slide, please. This is something I've drawn on. I've drawn on um, the reason this has got a, like a napkin on it is because I've drawn these pictures I'm going to show you now on table napkins literally all over the world to different people I've worked with. Here's a Christian. This is you, possibly. He or she's a little bit confused, and here's why. He looks one way, and he sees a, a church. Building. I purposely put a building there. He puts the other one, he sees the world. And this is how so often we as Christians have been, been equipped to think. We think that discipleship happens in the church, and evangelism happens in the world. Are you with me? So discipleship is all about coming out away from the world, becoming less like the world, coming to Christian meetings, having fellowship and being, if I can say, good people who are not like those bad people outside. And discipleship comes this way. And evangelism is about going into the world. Here's the thing, I don't know if you know this, but only 2% of Christians ever share their faith with people outside of the church. Did you know that? Because most of us, what we conclude is, that we're not evangelists, but we're disciples. So discipleship is about becoming someone who comes away from the world, becomes disconnected from the world. Most of our friends become other Christians, and our life is centred around the church and all of, its, all of its meetings. That's what happens. Am I making sense? The challenge with that is that that means we will never reach the people that don't come. And most of the people in this community don't come. And many churches are trying to get them to come by doing things to attract them, but they're just not interested. I know that in England, where I live, for a while, when the, when the decline was happening, many churches started saying, let's do things that are going to attract people to come. We'll change the way we sing songs. We'll have more modern songs. And they did that. And no one came. Do you know why? They weren't there. They didn't know they changed the songs. <laughs> and even, even if they had known, they wouldn't have wanted to sing the new songs any more than the old songs, because they just don't even believe any of this stuff that we tell them is true. Just you know what I'm saying. And so we need to think about this differently. If we go to the next slide, please. Let's start with Jesus rather than the church. Let's start with him. And if you look at one, Jesus is the head of the church. It's his church, isn't it? 
Do you believe that? It is church. There's only one of them. I was in Nepal recently, um, and I was speaking to lots and lots of pastors in, in Kathmandu. And um, when I began uh, talking with them, I realized that lots of these pastors didn't like each other very much. They just weren't very keen on each other. They were quite jealous of each other, and some of them didn't. They were actually rivals with each other. And so when I got up to speak on the platform at the front, I, I began my talk by saying, I've got something I can tell you. And they said, what's that? I said, I know exactly how many churches there are in Kathmandu. I said, really? How do you know that? We don't know. I said, I, know. I can tell you to the number exactly how many there are. And they're going, well, how do you possibly know that? And he went on for a while. And they said, okay, tell us how many churches are there in Kathmandu? And I said, here's the exact number. One. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. Just one. Just one. One church, one mission. How many churches are there in Scottsdale? How many churches are there in Phoenix? How many churches are there in Arizona? How many churches are there in the United States? How many churches are there in the world? Well, from our perspective, countless millions. From God's perspective, one. Do you believe that? One church, one mission. See, if we start with Jesus, he's also the saviour of the world. And if he's the saviour of the world, what that means is we need to think that therefore is the purpose of the church to join Jesus' mission to seek and to save what was lost. And so we'll just look at it very quickly. And that means that evangelism and discipleship are actually the same thing. I like to use the word evangelship. If I'm following Jesus, I will be sharing my faith. I will be living my life in such a way that people outside of the church can see who Jesus is. That will be happening. And therefore, this is what the church looks like. We'll just click a few here till we get... Just keep clicking. And a couple more. That's it. That was the last one. Thank you. Let me tell you a couple of very quick little stories, what I mean by that. So not far from here is, um, is Tucson, just down, down the interstate. About an hour and five minutes, isn't it? I've been there many times. I know where it is. Um, and just outside of it is a little place. I think it's called San Manuel, something like that. And there's a church there. And we did this rooftop process that we do with that church a few years ago now. And after we'd done it, I went and preached on a Sunday. And after I preached on the Sunday, in the afternoon, we had a gathering together where people came together and just shared what was happening as they were now learning what it means to join Jesus in his mission. And I'll never forget, one lady stood up, she, she stood up and she said, I'm 83 years old, she said. She said, and ever since I've been coming to this church for 61 years, I always thought the church was this place where we are, this building. She said, but I now realise it's not. I'm the church. Me and us. She said, so now what I do, she said, every week I have coffee with my friends. We go to Starbucks. I thought, really? Is there a Starbucks in San Manuel? I didn't know where it was, but anyway... Perhaps she goes to a bigger city. She's like, I go, she and I sit with my friends and we just talk about life together. And as we talk about life together, I talk about my Jesus with them. So I don't preach the gospel every week, but we talk about Jesus. They have questions, I answer their questions. They want to know, there's so many things they don't know. She said, she said I'm so excited, said, my own faith is much more alive now because I'm constantly having to find out the answer to their questions. Because she realised that church is not a place, but it's her. Do you believe that? Are you the church? I'm trying to see into your mind. <laughs> and then another lady stood up. I find it interesting, in America it's the same as it is in the UK. When people reach a certain age, they like to tell you how old they are. 
The other lady, the first lady was 83 years old. The second lady stood up and with a, a voice of great superiority said, I am 84 years old. She said, and unlike her, she said, I thought for all the years I come here, this was the church. But now should I realise that I'm the church too. So she said, when I go, every week I go to the nursing home. My husband's been in a nursing home for, for 11 years, I think it was. He's terminally ill and has to be cared for 24-7 all the time. And so I, I go to visit him. So, and I've done it for years. She said, but now I realise something. I used to just go to visit my husband. But now I've realised that that nursing home is a mission field. People there are lost. Many of them are going to spend eternity without God. And most of them have nobody that visits them. They're just waiting to die and live forever without God. They're never going to come to our church group. They can't get there. They're not even capable of getting there. So she realised, I'm the church. So now should I go there for the whole day on a Wednesday, not just to see my husband. I spend the whole day there. Should I take my food with me? I pack my food and I go there for the day. She said, and all day long, I see my husband, but the rest of the time, I'm just sitting with people who have nobody visiting them and I just share life with them and we talk about things and as I talk to them about things and they talk to me, we begin to talk about faith and life in Jesus. And she said, last week she said something happened that was so lovely. And when she said this, everybody, including me, started to tear up. She said, last week somebody said, to, one of the ladies said to me, she said, I never used to believe in God, but since I've met you, I'm not so sure. Do you see what's happening? Just engaging with people, sharing life with people, letting people see Jesus in us. That's what being a disciple following Jesus means. And it's not something that takes place just in a building. I remember when I first became a Christian, I'll never forget it, because I became a Christian, as I said, sitting on a train outside of London, never been inside a church in my life before. I met Jesus on a train. I realised, sitting on a packed train just outside of London, that God was real, that Jesus died for me. I said to Jesus, here's my life, do what you want with it. I felt as though God came to live within me. And I thought, wow, this is just amazing. That's an incredible thing. And then I thought, well, now I have to go to church. So I didn't know, even know where churches were. I didn't even know what churches were. So I went for a walk around my area and found a church. It happened to be a Baptist one. I only went there because you could see through the windows. <laughs> it's true. The Anglican one nearby, you couldn't. I thought, what do they do in there? It might be really weird. The Baptists, they let you see, so I'll go there. That was it. And so I went to a Baptist church. And then... Um, Lots and lots of things I could talk about, but I'm nearly out of time. But one thing that struck me was this. When we used to go to this Baptist church, they used to pray almost every week. They said, Lord, thank you, we can come into your presence. And I thought, hang on, we're coming into your presence. What, what does that mean? Isn't God with us all the time? <laughs> Doesn't God live in us? Doesn't Jesus travel on trains? <laughs> Doesn't Jesus, are you with me? What do you mean, come into your presence? God is always present, isn't he? He lives in us by his spirit, so we're always in his presence. Everything we do, we're in the presence of God. And I thought to myself, hang on, if these people think that we're, by coming into this building, we're coming into this, his presence, in some way we must think that God is restricted to being in this building. Therefore, when we leave this building, we leave him behind. And then we come back to see him next week. And hopefully he's still there. 
That's why I talk about the place where we have to learn all these things. The reality is, my friends, and I say this to you as a friend and an encourager, if Scottsdale is going to be reached for Christ, it will never happen by just hoping they come through the doors of this building. I used to have lunch with a friend of mine in England. We were both pastors for a while. We used to meet once a month on Mondays. I'll never forget, his name was Alan. We used to meet and he used to say, one day he said to me, he said, Dennis, he said, I can't wait for revival to come to the church. And I said, Alan, what do you think it would look like if revival comes to the church? And he said, oh, there'll be people queuing up. We say, you say lining up. In England, we say queuing up. People queuing up or lining up to get in the church. And I said, I don't think it would look like that, Alan. I think if we see revival, people will be queuing up to get out of the church, not in it. Because we will realise as Christian people that the mission field that Jesus is active in is not inside our building only, but it's among the people, just like it always was, where the people are. And he said to people, follow me and I'll teach you to be fishers of men. Last thing, I've only got two minutes left, so I'm going to go very quickly. So we talked about the purpose, the place. Next slide, please. The process. How do we become Christians who become followers of Jesus, who become disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples? I haven't got time to go into this in detail, so I'm just going to say it very quickly, and I'll be done. The way that we learn, all of us learn everything, not just how to be a follower of Jesus, but the way we learn everything, I think there are three parts to it. So here we go. First one, tell me. We need to be told what to do. And I'll be honest when I say this, I don't say this in, a, in an unfair way, the church is very good at telling I've often said this with a smile on my face to some Christians who have been Christians for many years. Just think how many words you've been told since you became a Christian, how much you've heard, how many sermons and, and Bible studies. Just think how much telling there's been. So much telling, isn't there? But that's not enough. Jesus did tell his disciples. That's not enough to make disciples. Remember he said, I will make you, make you fishers of men. And at the end of Matthew 28, he says, make disciples. We have to be made and this is where we have to grab something really important. I want to leave this thought with you. The next thing that Jesus did, show me. We learn when people show us how to do things, don't we? A little while ago, in my son's house, my daughter's house, sorry, she just moved into a house because she's married, and I put a shelf up for her. I'm terrible at DIY. I actually don't do DIY, I do DDIY, which means don't do it yourself. But years ago, my dad, stepdad, taught me how to put a shelf up. And I put one up after he showed me and it fell down. And so he showed me again and eventually it stayed up. And when I put up my daughter's shelf, it stayed up. I thought, man, I'm so pleased. You learn to put up shelves when someone shows you how to do it. But also the third thing, you then do it. Tell me, show me, let me is the third. You have to do it. And this isn't just true about being a disciple of Jesus. It's everything. Her shelf stayed up. <laughs> because I've learned how to do it by doing it. And here's the thing, friends. If we're going to make disciples across this city, if we're going to see Scottsdale, one for Jesus Christ, we have to get beyond that place where we think, I can't do this. And we have to be in that place where we say, I want to be equipped to be shown how I can do this, and then given the opportunity to do it. And if we would do that, every single person in here, and I'm going to ask you again, do you believe this? Every single person here, every one of us, if we would put ourselves in that position where we would say, teach me, we would actually be able to live for Jesus, let people see who Jesus is, and we could help them to come to understand more and more and more about Jesus. And I don't know how old you are. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. I don't know what you're going through in your life, but I do know this, that God wants to use every single one of us 
that just as we are, who we are, not become somebody else, as who we are, to help somebody else come to know who this Jesus is. That's my simple message today. Do you? We began by me saying, if we really think about it, does the world need Jesus? And you all said yes, I think. And here's the thing, if, if they're going to find out Jesus, it has to be another yes. And the yes is a yes to Jesus' command that we follow him. And in the world where we're placed, we make disciples. So here's my, as I finish, I just want to do something very simple, because my time is up. If you're willing this morning to say to Jesus, yes, I'm willing to become a disciple who makes disciples. This isn't a request for you to become a Christian for the first time. You could have been a Christian for 50 years. I'm still asking the question. Or five minutes, it doesn't matter. Are you willing to say, Jesus, I want to say yes to joining you in that mission? I'd like us just simply, no emotion, no music yet, just simply to do this. If you're willing to do that, would you just stand? Just stand where you are. And as you're standing, just do something very simple. Just raise your, raise your hands to heaven, would you? Just raise them as high as you can. So, so it's a little bit uncomfortable, so you can feel your ribs just poking out a little bit. Just raise them to heaven, just as you're standing. And in your own words, in just a few seconds, just say to Jesus something like, Jesus, thank you that you came to this world to die for me, to forgive my sins, so that I could say yes to you. Yes, become my saviour. Yes, become my Lord. And yes, Jesus, I will join you in your mission. Teach me. Help me. And help us as the church here, this part of your church, help us to be willing to do what it takes to join you in that mission. Not for our sake, but for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of the lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please sit down. I'm not sure what happens next, so whatever it is. Chad, what happens next? Is that it? Are we done? Thank you, sir. Normally, we, we end with a song. I thought so. Yeah, we normally do. But we normally have time for them to get up into place, but we don't have time. So okay. Sorry, did I take too long? No, 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 you're fine. So I read your book, and I love your testimony. Would you take three minutes mm -hmm. and tell us your testimony? Details. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah no, I've got this. Yeah. Yeah, I... And then that will be our dismissal. Okay. So I was born into a family that knew nothing about Jesus. I became an atheist when I was 16. I thought that God was just for people that didn't have much brain. Because that's how people think where I live. If you're intelligent, you're an atheist in Europe. That's how it is. Um, I didn't think much of church, really. I didn't know anything about it. The only Christians that I knew, there weren't many, but they were kind of churchy sort of people. <laughs> and I thought religion was for religious people who like to sing songs and speak like this. Because in England, that's how they speak in church. The vicars and priests, they speak like this. I thought it was religion was like that. When I was 19, my boss put the, the book Mere Christianity down on the table in front of me and said, you should read this book. And I thought, well, I don't want to read that. I'm not religious. When I was 19, I was into money. Girls, as long as they weren't too tall. Cars, I had a great car with a stripe over the top that made it go faster. And sport, I always loved sport. They were the things I was interested in when I was 19. 
when this, my boss put this book down, I said, really, I had no intention of reading it. But he was my boss, and bonus time was coming up. So I thought I'd read it just to keep him happy. As I read it, over eight months sitting on a train every day, pretty much every day, two things happened. The first thing was that I realized that it takes a lot of faith to believe there is a God. But it also takes a lot of faith to believe that there isn't one. And as I thought it through and through and through, I realized that whilst both of them are very difficult, it was more likely there is a God than there isn't. And then I thought, if I believe in God, how do I, how do I know God? Surely God doesn't want me just to exist and not know him. And I thought to know God, you had to become very religious. Perfect, never do anything wrong, and become, please don't be offended by this. I also thought you had to become very boring. Because I always thought religious people were very boring people that never did anything. It's always, don't do this and don't do that, and whatever you do, don't enjoy yourself. That's how I saw religion as a, as a person outside of the church. But when I, it, was when, it was when I read about Jesus that everything changed for me. When I, when I read over and over again how Jesus came to the world, he said he was God, and yet he lived such a life of sacrifice and giving of himself and always being with people and loving people and restoring people and healing people and all the things he did. And I kept thinking, this is God. And then they stripped him literally naked and smashed him to pieces and battered him to death and put him on a cross and nailed him there. And all this, I kept thinking, this is God? This is God? This is God doing this? And I realized it was for me, and not just me, but many other people as well. And it, what overwhelmed me, and still does, I was 19 then, you can see I'm not 19 anymore, but it still overwhelms me, this immense thing, and we've sung it already this morning a few times, that the God of the universe would die for me. That's what I thought sitting on that train. I'll tell you, I like, you look quite nice people, but I wouldn't die for you. And you wouldn't die for me. It's a big deal to die for someone. God so loved the world. And when I realised that Jesus was God in the flesh dying for me, I just sitting on this train one morning said to God, here's my life, do what you want with it. And I felt God come to live within me. People, Christians have different views about the Holy Spirit, but I, I don't care what you call it, I was filled with God. And my life has never been the same ever since. I started telling my family about it. My stepdad was utterly, completely and totally against it, wanted to kick me out of the house and never see me again. But here's the, the 30-second and I'm done version of what could be a three-hour story. My mum became a Christian at my baptism. My older brother became a Christian following that. Then my younger stepbrother became a Christian, a half-brother. And then before he died, my stepfather, who was mean and nasty and rotten, was utterly, totally and completely transformed by God and became a follower of Jesus. Let me finish by saying this. Let me see if you agree with this. God has the power to change lives. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much.